The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The all-new Hyundai Santa Fe's features ensure that you can take on any adventure. What kind of features? Well, how about the available H-Track all-wheel drive so you can take on the dirt trails and kick up some mud? Or the standard third-row seating so your whole family can experience the thrill together? How about available dual wireless charging pads so no one gets stuck in the great outdoors with a dead phone? We're always trying to think about those great spring and summer getaways, but with a car like the Hyundai Santa Fe, anywhere can be your next adventure. To learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe, go to HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast with your hosts, Chip Patterson, Tom Fernelli, Danny Cannell, and Bud Elliott. It's your call for the best college football coverage from National Signing Day to the National Championship and everything in between. CBS Sports presents the Cover 3 Podcast. And welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast here on CBS Sports. That's Tom Fernelli. That's Bud Elliott. That's Danny Cannell. I'm Chip Patterson. Thanks to all of you that are watching live right now on Twitter, live on YouTube, live on Facebook. We are just flexing our multi-platform excellence all through the offseason and on into uh, the 2022 season. That's, that's kind of what we're about. We're about growth. We're about reaching people in more places. And we are excited that you are joining us uh, for today's show. One of the topics that we kick around a lot in, in small pieces is, you know, player compensation. Oh, oh hey, I, I think that with this development and this development, players will be paid one day. Well, well let's dig into it. We're going to do that, and we're going to uh, see you know how we got here, what's next, programs that could benefit uh, all of that coming up in just a little bit. But there is one story that we just – we're so good. You know, guys, we're just a really, really good at being able to predict exactly what's going to happen and talking about it before the news actually comes down. Because in, in one of last week's shows, we discussed the future of the college football playoff, uh, sort of our guesses, our predictions, what we had heard uh, that, you know, maybe this, this, there's just too many roadblocks right now for us to be able to see expansion moving forward. We thought there was going to be a March 2nd meeting where they'd be able to vote on it. Nope. There is a, an announcement from the college football playoff on Friday that says that there will be no expansion until the end of the contract. We'll remain at four teams. It was an eight to three vote, according to reports, with the only three no's to this 12-team model being the ACC, the Big Ten, and the Pac-12. Now, each of them have different reasons, uh, based on my understanding, for why they voted no. But, you know, they call themselves the alliance. They call themselves a voting block. And guess what? If your goal was to not expand the playoff, well, I, I guess you got what you want. So that while it fell exactly in line with what we said on the Cover 3 podcast with the idea that there were too many roadblocks for college football playoff expansion, just real quickly before we dig into uh, the rest of today's show, I, I wanted to throw this around. Like, was there, uh, in, was there any surprise? Was there any outrage? You know, fans have had a chance to really come to the reality that we're sticking at four teams, that at least for the foreseeable future. It has your feelings on uh, where we're going in how we declare a national championship, has that changed at all? No. I mean, it's going to get there eventually. But. You think it's going to be 12 and, and we'll just be fighting over the AQ bids and all these little details when we start the new uh, 12-year contract? I mean, it could still be eight, but I, I think it'll end up being 12. I, I think that there's just, I mean, like everybody, there's always been the jokes about the alliance, but it's always been a voting block. Like, like they talked about the scheduling stuff and all that kind of, you know, possibilities. But it they they got together because the SEC grabbed Oklahoma and Texas, and they wanted to make sure that the three of them were, you know, quote unquote, an alliance, and they weren't going to take anybody's schools, and they were going to vote together to make sure that the SEC didn't get everything that it wanted. And that and then the vote comes out, 
and there's three conferences that vote against it. It's like, that's been the purpose of the thing the entire time and everybody's acting all surprised and shocked by it. And it's like, no, that's why it exists to begin with because they want to wait and hold off for as long as possible because they don't want ESPN having exclusive rights to it. And also Andy Staples wrote about this on The Athletic too, for the Big Ten from their perspective, the Big Ten's TV deal is coming up. They're going to have a lot of people that want it because it's an attractive television property. Indeed. If the college football playoff expands and the rights to that are also up for bid, the same companies that are going to be bidding for the Big Ten will also now have the opportunity to bid for the playoff, which will impact the Big Ten's ultimate ability to get as much money as possible from those networks. So for the Big Ten, it serves their purpose to push that can further down the road because that way CBS, NBC, Fox, ESPN, Amazon, anybody that wants to get involved the premier college football package for the next four years is going to be the Big Ten. So all their money's going to go to that. I, I think what it comes down to is that the, the guys who designed the 12-team playoff, they, they tried to give everybody something they wanted, but it really only made sense for the Big Ten, or excuse me, for the SEC and the Big 12 to vote for it. I think it made some sense for the ACC to vote for it, but the ACC, I think, is at a spot where they need a bit of a Hail Mary. They would make more money in the short term with an expanded 12-team playoff. But I think if, if you're reading the tea leaves here, they would not make enough money for it to make a difference for them to survive as a conference that that you know has the same footing that it does now. I mean, the SEC is is going to be doubling them on a per-year basis very soon as far as conference payouts and probably tripling in the next six to seven years based on on the projections. Uh, so I think they they're like, hey, well, we're willing to gamble a little bit because a little bit of money is not really going to help us. You know, we we need to somehow strike it rich in the next couple of years with the playoff format. And I also wonder with the ACC saying, hey, you know, player safety, let's take a holistic review. They have never given a damn about player safety in this sport. But they do so care why, about NIL and transfer portal. Like there, like there is like the ACC university presidents, the athletic directors, like they have conveyed to Jim Phillips and they've developed this united stance that it's like th things are going crazy over here with the transfer portal, name, image, likeness, and then NCAA governance. Like uh, I give a little bit to that. But I do think that athletic directors are uncomfortable um, with, with where we are at. And that's what we're going to be talking about, obviously, a little bit later on. I do wonder if the injury concern stuff and then all of a sudden just them deciding to do all the player safety, let's reduce the time of game, uh, is more to do with potential liability if the Power Five conferences become the true governors of the sport. Like if they actually break away from the NCAA, uh, do they not want to inherit something that has a bunch of liability in it without saying, hey, we've taken a bunch of steps here uh, to try to remedy this process like that's kind of the lawyer in me it's like wait a second you guys have never given a damn about player safety why do you care about holistic look and player safety right now and that's kind of where i i think maybe they're maybe why they're trying to to do that uh, there have been a lot of important changes in the sport though i mean supreme court decision nil like we're talking about realignment that i think kind of blindsided people a little bit uh, i understand why they why they voted no it, it but it is a bit of a gamble yeah, I was bummed. I was a little bit upset at Jim Phillips for kind of – because I do think that they're the most influential against this, and I'm actually impressed that the uh, alliance has stood by them um, with the three votes that voted against it. But when I sit back and kind of let the emotions cool down, because you know we've all talked about this ad nauseum, like I want expansion, 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 so just give it to me. Give me all the expansion I can get. But – and then when it's there and we get it in June, you're excited. Man, think about the possibility of home field, playoff games, all those things. We're real excited. And then as Bud was just talking about, like things changed. And they changed a lot. And it really did start with Oklahoma, Texas to the SEC. And that was a red alert podcast like we've never seen. Like, holy cow, is this really happening, right? So we've seen major, major just moves that have taken place and the NIL and the transfer portal. And I think it is wise. Like I'm a, I can, you know, when we talk on here, it's emotional. We get irrational and we just spew out our takes. I think if you sat back and you looked at this, I don't love it, but I think, you know, hey, let's 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 not rush into this is not the worst stance to take. Because I think it's interesting because Chip, you asked the question, 
You know, do you think we just run the contract and we get 12 teams, you know, or in Bud said, or eight? I don't know what we're going to get in 2020. We might get four. There could yeah. be a new 12-year deal of just another four-team playoff. We might get one conference decide to do their own champion, mm. you know? And, like, there's just – there's so to. much that could happen that I I think it might have been wise – for Jim Phillips to say, let's slow, let's slow down a little bit. Let's take a year. Let's see what happens. The Supreme Court will talk about Brett Kavanaugh, how they threw a wrench into things because they might have their hand forced by 2026, 27, that they might have to pay the players. And so does that impact the way you structure things? And is there a split between a real split between power five and group of five? There's just so much that's on the horizon that you really want to enter in another contract, which probably would have been another at least 10 years, something extremely long, that's probably going to end up getting broken up by the time it's there anyway. So I, as much as I hate it and I want to see expansion next year, I think it's probably the smart thing to sit back and look at this. I do think you could have tweaked it pretty easily, you know, and done the eight team, hey, five conference champs and three wild cards, and everybody probably would have just been on board. You could have done that soon. But I don't, I don't, I don't think it's crazy that it, I think it was wise for Jim Phillips to say, let's slow down a little bit. So we'll go ahead, Tom. I was going to say also like the, the part two about the patients and being able to wait is it's not like they're going to go broke playing <laughs> under the current deal. So it's not like there's really a ton of pressure to get it done. And I feel like a lot of, you know, like when they leaked that 12 team plan before in the off season or whenever it was, I feel like that was kind of designed to try to speed things up. And maybe some people weren't totally on board with that. And we're just like, whoa, 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 whoa. They're, you're trying to put it out there to get everybody behind it without giving it to us first and trying to force our hand. And I think that came back to bite some people here too. Did you guys, what did you guys think of the PAC 12's five paragraph statement that was like, yeah, we're all about expansion. We love the expansion model. And then you find out they vote against it. Like, was that them basically saying, hey, we're just along for the ride with the Alliance? We want no, Rose Bowl. What's that? Rose Bowl. The Rose Bowl. Jim Delaney lobbying on behalf of the Rose Bowl. Used to be the Big Ten Commission. That is money well spent by the Rose Bowl. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the the Rose Bowl, uh, the Pac-12s, no. Um, these, these are just my notes from multiple reports. It comes down to the Rose Bowl um, where they want the Rose Bowl to always have a Pac-12 team and they always want it to be at 5 p.m. Eastern time on January 1st. The other issue for the Pac-12 was revenue distribution. I think that they are in there fighting about, you know, the SEC is like, well, if we want to have, if we're going to have four teams every single year, we want to be able to get a bigger piece of this pie. Pac-12 is not going to have as many teams, but they're going to try to fight for uh, some something close to even, or at least more even. For the Big Ten, they were really hung up on automatic qualifiers. They want all Power Five conferences to be able to have one spot in the playoff. Remember, the initial proposal was six highest-rated conference champs. The Big Ten is hanging up probably a little bit on the Rose Bowl too, but uh, I've got them as AQ bids specifically guaranteed for the Power Five, and that is not something that uh, is widely supported throughout the room. Why do we think the Big Ten is really hung up on on automatic qualifiers for the, for the Power Fives? Like, like, have you guys thought about this? I'm, I Yes. I don't really know why. It plays into I'm the like, alliance. Okay. The Pac-12 and the ACC. Like, it helps them, them out? Yeah. It gets them in. It also keeps it from being seven SEC teams, which helps the Big Ten and everybody else in the playoff. It's There's plenty of reasons why the Big Ten wants AQs. So what do you make of Greg Sankey saying that we need to rethink our position? The man who authored the plan and went around and pitched it to everybody and tried to sell it came out being really... Yeah, you know, really disappointed with what he saw from his peers. You know, we need to rethink our position here. He's and the man who wrecked the Big Twelve, by the way. Yeah, mm-hmm. I don't. But think also, he's the Big Twelve voted for it. I don't yeah. think he's disappointed. I think he's pissed. Mm-hmm. I think, and I, I, I would be too. If I'm like they spent. Think about how much money they probably spent. Think about how much time they probably spent over the last two years coming up with this, you know, grand proposal to shape college football for the future. And they announce it. I mean, they kind of they look foolish to me, like by having all this happen. So and I and so he's like, all right, you guys want to play this game? I can play that too. That to me is the the back off the stance of yeah, I was an expansion. Yeah, maybe I'll go back and but we'll go ahead and take half of the field if you want to every single year. 
that's on Sankey though. Like this is his own fault. Cause like we mentioned, like there were four people involved in that 12 team plan. I, it was Sankey, Bowlesby, Craig Thompson. And I cannot remember the fourth. Swarbrick. Swarbrick. Yeah. Swarbrick. So like there's four of us on this podcast. Let's say Chip and I spend a couple, like a week together on a retreat coming up with the future of the cover three podcast. And we don't include either of you in it. We don't include Coco. We don't include Jordan. We don't include anybody that is involved with the creation of this podcast. We come up with a plan and then we just show up one day and say, this is what we're doing. And then you guys just have to go along with it. You don't get any say. I mean, come on, there's going to be pushbacks and you might, you guys might, you might, maybe you do like it. Maybe you want to be a part of it, but you had no part in the process of creating it. So you're going to push back against it. What, what is the equivalent of you and Chip rating the Big 12 in this scenario? Oh, and we added, uh, we got Pat McAfee to join the show. He's <laughs> got it. Okay, yeah. <laughs> I, I think the Pac-12 was mostly Rose Bowl, but I also think with, with George Klapkoff, um, he's a guy who comes from the entertainment side of things, and he really wants there to be multiple partners involved in the playoff. And I don't think he wanted to expand this thing based on the comments that he's made over the last year when it was within the exclusive negotiating window mm-hmm. of ABC ESPN. Right. Mm-hmm. I think he wants to have this be a shared property because you, he knows you can make more money, whether that is CBS, like I hope, uh, or NBC or Amazon or Twitter or, you know, YouTube cover three TV. podcast. Again, the cover, cover three podcast, podcast will gladly Correct. broadcast. We will air all the games playoff. on our yes. YouTube channel. Yes. Um, I think that that also played into it. I, I'm interested to see if going forward the alliance is going to be actually a scheduling alliance. I think it was more of a like if we you know, the whole like hey, maybe, maybe the real you know, the real wins were the friendships we made along the way, right? Uh, it might have just been a voting block in the end. I anticipate that in the end that will be the most productive thing that it has to show is the way that it came together to stop an early expansion of the college football playoff before the completion of the contract. Um, one other piece of this, they needed unanimous support to go early. I, I could be wrong, but I don't think they need unanimous when it comes time to making decisions later because it would be undoing the deal. That's why they needed everything to be unanimous. Eight to three could be enough to get uh, Sankey and Swarbrick's 12-team model passed. And so I, I think that the posturing between these conference commissioners uh, now takes a little bit of a backseat. And I'm cool. And we're we're set. We got four teams all the way out. And uh, we will circle back in a couple years to continue this fight. My official prediction, when yes. they finally do get to 12 after this is over, five conference champions, one group of five, six at-larges. So you that's think 11. they will go to the P5 conference champions? That's, that's mm-hmm. 12. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They'll, they'll succumb to the Power Five um, hang-up in, in exchange for being able to get it through. Yeah, because I think also just long term, I think, you know, college football is a regional sport, no matter how badly we pretend it isn't. But for the playoff, which is a national product and stands to benefit from it being a national product because then there's more eyes on it, it is beneficial to make sure that you have a Pac-12 team in the playoff and a Big 12 team in the playoff and an ACC team and a Big 10. It's a benefit to it overall, the overall health and the amount of money you can make by keeping more people interested. That's why the SEC won't actually take its ball and go home. It mm-hmm. would not shock me if they threatened to do so and like, hey, we're going to have our own playoff and the rest of y'all figured out you put up your champ and we'll put up our champ or you know we'll do we'll do a champ the big 10 will do a champ and the rest of the country put up two champs and that's our new four teamer i that's not actually going to happen in in my estimation because sankey is smart enough to realize that he needs eyeballs small over the country and to get a cut of that if it's just regional the sec doesn't make near as much money and also every conference already has its own playoff it's called the regular season <laughs> Team regular season. Love to see it. <laughs> uh, one other bit of news that is, uh, has broken since the last time that we got together. Uh, Jaden Daniels, quarterback for Arizona State, has entered the transfer portal. He becomes, so we'd lost an offensive coordinator, a defensive coordinator, multiple other staffers, um, presumably as a result of the NCAA investigation into Arizona State uh, conducting uh, recruiting and in-person activities during the dead period because of the pandemic. Um a violation of NCAA rules. Herm Edwards, still the head coach, but Jane Daniels, your star quarterback, uh, he is in the transfer portal, likely going to be headed elsewhere. A reasonable question, I think, is 
why is Herm Edwards still the head coach at Arizona State? Why haven't we just done like a full clean house scenario? Multiple players are leaving. And so I, I pose it to you all. Like, do you think that um, what is happening at Arizona State, what can we expect from the Sun Devils on the field based on everything that we've seen? And then number two, like, how, how, what's the end game? How, how does this play out for the Sun Devils football as they try to move forward uh, in the cloud of this NCAA investigation? So a couple things here. One, I talked to some Arizona State guys over the summer on, on that staff before they had all the staff shakeups, and they didn't like Daniels at all. Like as a player, um, they're like, man, man he, he makes my guys look bad. They like this is you know off the record or well not off the record, just stuff I'm not going to print. Um, didn't drop names on it, but now that everybody's gone off that staff, it's pretty fair game. They they were not hell a yeah, but source is not fired. Let's let it go. They, they they were not they were not a believer in him. Yeah, um, at all. Now some guys on the staff were, but a lot of them that I talked to over the summer when I ran into them were not. Uh, the other thing I thought was interesting, this is coming out uh, today, uh, Michael Crow, Arizona State president. Have you guys seen this yet? Mm-mm. He was made a radio appearance this morning, uh, and he said Arizona State coach Herm Edwards was, quote, not part of the program's alleged recruiting violations. He's done an outstanding job of upgrading our overall program. Uh, we got this group of people who decided not to play by the rules relative to recruiting. Uh, so we'll be looking at how to make improvements so forth. Uh, but Coach Edwards is responsible for all the actions of all of his people, uh, but these are things he did not ask them to do. These are not things he was a part of. Hello. So that, you know what makes me think of? It makes me think about the Miami case. Because in the Miami case, what we knew from reports didn't line up with what the NCAA could prove. And obviously the NCAA also broke some of its own rules with the investigation. So evidence that the NCAA had actually had to be thrown out. And I was wondering if what has been reported, which includes uh, Herm Edwards being a part of, of these in-person visits, maybe the NCAA doesn't have any actual proof of it. And the only thing they're going to be able to hit him with is a failure to monitor. These in-person visits, were these COVID visits or was it more like, was it traditional recruiting visit rules that they were breaking? It was COVID. So it, was, COVID. it was the dead, dead period. It was the dead the period. Pandemic. Yeah. Brought on by COVID. Because I do think there's a play here, Danny, by the way, by Arizona State to essentially, as people become like less you know, into COVID protocols as time goes by, I wonder if Arizona State's going to be like, look, look back, it really wasn't that big of a deal, right? It, 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 when, when this thing finally gets in front of the NCAA. That <laughs> seems to be what they're trying defense. to play. <laughs> right? Basically, but I, like, like the COVID fatigue defense. <laughs> but that's also like kind of what I was getting at. And it also goes to like knowing Herm, he's a, he's a man of character. And you can take that for whatever you want. Like, I don't think he would try to cheat, um, you know, like really in a nefarious way, like tr- backroom deals, like traditional bag men. Like, I don't think he would be in that. Now, some of the guys that I also know that I worked with at ESPN that are no longer there, they absolutely would have been more towing the line. And I could see Herm just as the figurehead not being fully dialed in on everything. I don't, I don't know. I give him a little bit more benefit of the doubt of he didn't know. Um, and maybe that's a that's a personal bias towards him because I really do think he's a man of principle who's old school. No, cut that out. But I just I know I feel like it was a staff that does deserve more more of the blame. And I do I think it's interesting because in the thick of the COVID, and I asked some other coaches about this, like what'd you think about what was going on at Arizona State? Like recruiting violations when people are paying under the table. I think everybody knows that goes on and every goes on and everybody kind of, you know, just accepts it for what it is. But with COVID, I think it was a little different because everyone was like getting pressure from university presidents. Mm. You guys better knock it off. You better fall in line. You know, these rules are there because we're saving lives and there's lives at risk. So I feel like the majority of college football was trying to do the things the right way or at least obeying their higher ups. And the fact that Arizona State was going around them really got the vitriol of a lot of college football coaches saying, wait a second, that was the one area we thought was off limits and you guys were pushing the limits. I don't know. That's, that's a hunch. you know. I don't know, Bud, that's what you experienced at the Coats Convention too, why people were so upset. Because people yeah. were like, yeah, man, Arizona State, they were off their rocker. They deserved to be, you know, you know, there wasn't many people defending Arizona State for what was happening. They were flying kids in. 
during the dead right. period mm-hmm. and bringing them on like not only just hey like you know to, to the city they were bringing them on, on on campus in the building like that's documented and you know I, I know there were a lot of other programs that tried to find creative stuff but everybody i talked to is basically like look we were not doing that mm. right like did we give you like like a video guided tour so you can walk around the campus and then civilized slapped our hand on that sure like that that happened but like you weren't coming in and hanging out with our coaches in the offices, like it's it's documented on video uh, that it that it was by, by Arizona State. And I, I think that that's one of the reasons they probably got turned in because the guys on that staff who did turn it in and, and sent in that dossier were like, uh, enough people know about this. It's not really, it's kind of sloppy. We're going to get turned in by outsiders. Might as well turn ourselves in. And so we, we don't get caught up in this thing uh, as is. So yeah, it, and it does seem like they were doing some different stuff. I don't know. I don't have to Chip's original question. I don't have super high hopes for them on the field this year. Uh, yeah, it's kind of fun timing that Jaden Daniels transfers out, and then like what Arizona yesterday got like a four-star commit QB. It's like you feel like things are kind of shifting in that state at the moment. Like one one program has all the momentum and all the positive news right now, and the other one has all the negative news. Do we I talk? Do wonder about if we mom? overestimate the loss of Daniels though, just based on what I know the coach possibly thought. because yeah, that was a kid who showed up. And looked really good as a freshman, had all the talent in the world, and then really never improved from what I saw. In fact, he 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 declined in a couple of areas from me watching him. But did the coaches that you talked to, they talk about his mom and what a you know helicopter parent she was? Because I think yes. that was a significant issue and why and like I think like I think you learned a lot from the players cleaning out his locker and we're like, good, this dude sucks anyway. Like that's not true. Like you normally Today's era, like I probably would have had the mindset, like no matter who you were, if you left us hanging, I was going to be pissed. But this is a different era. Kids are like, yeah, go get yours. You got to get paid. You got to do whatever. You got to get to the league. Congrats. Good luck. They were anything but that. So I thought that was pretty revealing, the teammates' reaction. And then you hear some of the things about the access that his mom had that are very unusual. And that, to me, surprised me with Herm at the helm, being an old-school guy too. Like that was very shocking, The the, the like – keys to the building type of stuff with his mom getting that type of access and meeting with coaches on a weekly basis, like over the top stuff with his mom. I read some reports that that was uh, curtailed this year. Uh, Coincidentally, that was uh, curtailed around the time that it uh, was revealed that there were emails uh, implicating, uh, you know, her in buying or arranging for plane tickets uh, for recruits to come to campus during the dead period. So it seems like she was disassociated a little more from the program after all that stuff came out. But look, I mean, I don't care who you use to buy kids plane tickets. Like, yeah, you know, if you, if you want to fly that close to the sun, all right. I mean, but other coaches will be pissed. Don't Flying you think closer the most- to the sun devils? Oh, oh. Yeah. yeah. Don't you think the most likely scenario? Cause I almost feel like they're like, what can we do now? So they're just going to roll with it. It's probably not going to be a great year. And then I think Herm and the athletic director probably get cleaned out. And then they just kind of start fresh. Doug Haller of the Athletic had a good write up about this, um, and I'd recommend it uh, if if you uh, if you're a subscriber. But he noted in his reporting that it is believed that if before it came down to a firing scenario, that Herm would just retire, that he would just you know if if it comes down to that, then you know the, let's not make it messy that he might step away. I don't know if he would fight it, but. And I, I I don't know. I expect that Herm Edwards will be the head coach for the rest uh, for all the 2022 season and NCAA investigations move so slowly that who knows, we could have the same conversation uh, even coming back next year. kind of depends on the players that are still there in that Sun Devils locker room, what they're able to do uh, when they do take the field in the fall in the Pac-12 South. Maybe instead of waiting for the NCAA, they could just have Greg Greg Sankey, Bob Bowles, B. Craig Thompson, and Jack Swarbrick decide what to do. Hasn't worked out well so far for that group. <laughs> Coming up on the other side, we did mention, um, you know, classic the the classic recruiting, paying recruits. Well, uh, name, image, and likeness is on not even a full year old, and the NCAA wants to take another look at its name, image, and likeness policies. So what does the future look like for name, image, and likeness? What does the future look like for player compensation? We're going to get into all that and more next 
Celebrate and save at Ashley's anniversary sale. With Hot Buys, your choice of colors starting at just $3.99. Ashley Sleep mattresses starting at $2.50. Plus, receive a free adjustable base with select mattress purchases. And shop top mattress brands like Stearns & Foster, Tempur-Pedic, Purple, and Beautyrest Black with 60-month special financing only at Ashley. Subject to credit approval. No minimum purchase required. Minimum monthly payment, down payment, tax, and delivery may be required. See store for details. Passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance from superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has got you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Shout out to Halo coming out on Paramount Plus next month. You guys play a lot of Halo. Halo 1, I was not great at, but I enjoyed the communal experience. And then by the time it got to Halo 2, the game had passed me. What about y'all? Same. Same. I mean, it's just, just not fun to like, oh, you respawn. Oh, you're dead. Oh, you respawn. Oh, you're dead. I was not allowed to play video games as a kid, so I think it kind of just carried over into adult life. Your daughter been a gamer. Any any gaming uh, with your daughters? Uh, during COVID, I snatched up an Xbox before they all went off the market, like they were all gone. So they would have something to do, and they did a couple games. And then my daughter, when she broke her ankle, we got it fired back up so she could play Madden. So a little Sick. bit, yeah. Break out a. Uh, Get, get the old NCAA football in there and we can start like showing her how to recruit. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Build up at the line of scrimmages first. Always yeah. works. Um, all right. So this was name, image, and likeness. We had this on our um, scheduling board for a while because the, this is not even a year, but we have certainly seen the impact of name, image, and likeness. It played a huge role in the conversation around the most recent recruiting cycle. And it's, you know, provided a lot of, of fun, you know, when we look at name, image, and likeness deals that make us smile, make us laugh. Then it's also, you know, created a little bit of angst throughout the coaching, university president, and athletic director community. And I thought that with the NCAA looking to, if you are in favor of player compensation and the, you know, wild, wild west, name, image, and likeness world that we live in, then you are probably a little bit concerned that the NCAA is going to uh, do a full review of the impact on student-athletes. In a news release, uh, the board cited concerns about potential violation of NCAA recruiting rules, the representation for athletes that broker the deals for NIL deals, the booster involvement, as well as schools being involved in potentially arranging deals for incoming players. Of course, we have the uh, very good story from David Ubbin about the NIL collective at Tennessee, uh, we have all kinds of, you know, what was it? Nick Saban came up at SEC media days. He said that Bryce Young's got it up to a million. You know, he just sort of guessed off the top of his head. But I, I wanted to to start with, you know, do you think that we, after one year of having this, you know, name, image, and likeness, you're celebrating players being able to profit off their name, image, and likeness in ways that would have been violations. Do you think that that opportunity for players is on the chopping block right now? Is it possible that the NCAA rolls this thing back with enough pressure from outside influence? No. Okay. I mean, they could try, but it's just so ripe for an antitrust lawsuit. Um, Didn't they kind of try? Because they, they looked into the two deals, the BYU walk-ons deal, which you talk about the worst one possibly from a PR perspective. BYU. You could try to go after. And then they went after the Miami Hurricanes, the guy with the gym who said, hey, every player on the team you know, gets that deal. Uh, there's no way. They just can't. Uh, they've lost so much over the past year, five years. They just don't hold any weight. And I think... These programs are like what the programs are almost like daring them. Like, what are you gonna do? And I don't I don't think they're gonna do anything. I don't I the court of public opinion has already spoken, and I know it shouldn't matter, but also the courts have spoken as well. 
So they really don't have anything. I thought that was what was comical, though, because even when they, on July 1st, when NIL went public and the states, you know, okayed it, and then the NCA had to respond, they said, okay, but under these circumstances. And they said very specifically, it wasn't supposed to be about player inducement. And we all know that's all it's about. That's all it's about. And the schools are basically just flaunting it in their face. But I don't think there's anything they can do about it. I say let the market sort it out. Like if if some schools want to pay all this money to the players and probably get a terrible return on their investment and keep doing that, okay, cool, let them. I mean, at some point there's going to be like a – I can't think of the correct financial term here but or economic term, but at some point there's – yeah, there's going to be like an equilib- equilibrium breaking point where they're going to realize, wait a minute, <laughs> why am I giving Corre- this kid a million dollars? He's a market correction it. because yeah. think about if you're – and I don't know the specifics of the deals. and There probably were multiple deals. Let's just say, for instance, you're an Ohio State booster and you're thinking, oh, I can get Quinn Ewers to come to play for the Buckeyes and you offer them – you know, uh, equity in your company and you pay him whatever cash and then he's there for one year and leaves and you don't get any return on your investment whatsoever and even more so, it wasn't because he wasn't any good. Like, he could go light it up for Texas. Like, the next time around, the next player, do you think you're as likely to offer an equity stake in your kombucha company or your cash offer? I think that's what you're talking about. Like, there's going to be, because these are hopefully... It can be irrational, but hopefully there's smart businessmen and women that are, you know, ponying up this money. They're going to say, well, hold on a second. Let's make these shorter term deals. Let's not make them quite as lucrative and maybe incentive driven. You know, there's going to be ways around this, I think, where what you're talking about, I think it'll I think it'll settle. I mean, it's the wild, wild west. And it's like, I mean, look, at it's like you were talking about. I mean, think about the Internet tech bubble, which took place in the late 90s. And you just bought mm-hmm. any company that went public and it was going to go up. And that's what it felt like. Everybody's like, "Oh, it's a five star. Here's the cash," and it, I think it'll, I think it'll reset. I think it'll come back. I, I actually think the, the money will only increase, mm. um, for a couple reasons. One, those guys who give Quinn Ewers some some equity stake in their kombucha company, they did so because they're very competitive, and they want Ohio State to win. Those guys who have enough money to play in that pool, but not enough money to have an ownership stake in an NFL team are going to continue to try to play in that pool. It's why Auburn very seriously considered giving Brian Harson an $18 million buyout after one year. Like like I, I don't I don't necessarily think it's fair and I don't think Tom was doing this, but like the, the if you kind of want to extrapolate it, we talk about hey, like not getting a return on investment from players. There's many more coaches who are paid a lot more money than the players are yeah. who are not delivering, you know, return on investment. I, I thought David Ubbett had, had a really good article uh, on the athletic about this, he, his, his Tennessee guy he interviewed said it takes about ten million dollars to put together a good recruiting class right now, and in the future they they're going to try to get twenty or twenty five million dollars to put together a class. Now, as I read that, I thought that's over four years. That's not twenty five million up front. But I, I'll, I'll ask you guys this: find me a sport that brings in billions where the coaching staff makes more than the roster. Mm-hmm. And we're close, right? Like Belichick makes 15 and most of the NFL coaches make under 10 and the best quarterbacks make what 35. I think Mahomes makes 40. 45. I read like the, the best players in these other sports make three X five X I mean, baseball. They make like 10 X of, of what the coaches make. And I'm not trying to imply that, you know, we should have players making 10 X of what coaches make in college, because I do think that they're a little bit less proven, but it's not at all crazy if you're a five-star quarterback to say, hey, I want $2 million a year per year, right? Like, like there's only so many of them. And if you hit, he's easily worth that to the guys paying in terms of their return of, of winning games. And if he doesn't, that that's kind of priced in. What about Maybe the avenues? What about the avenues for compensation? Because you just use the NFL, and that is the NFL franchise paying both the coach and the player. Our world now is that the player compensation is coming from outside the university while the university is paying the coach salary is like that that disconnect uh, makes it even tougher for to set any kind of market in my eyes like that's that's why you get the 
like 25 million for the recruiting class kind of talk because we are talking about an entirely different unbudgeted pool of money from people like you're saying, bud, who are competitive and clearly have this kind of cash to be able to throw around. Like, is it, does the university, does, does college football need those two systems to be aligned? Because you said it brings in billions and it does bring in billions, but it doesn't bring in billions for the boosters. The only, this is a bad deal for boosters to get in on NIL stuff. Like the, the boosters are only profiting in feelings mm-hmm. and emotions and happiness. Ego, yeah. That's the ego. That's the only thing the boosters get back from this investment while the universities are the ones that are actually getting the billions from the media rights deals and the performance of the college football players. That's true. Uh, in some ways, they're organizing these as, as charities, though, uh, which could run afoul of, of some IRS type stuff, but but maybe not, depending on, on, on who, who you do it with. Uh, Chip, I think you bring up a really good point, though. At a certain point, if the money gets to the size, if you can figure out the Title IX component, do you want to bring in NIL in-house, kind of like Ohio State did, right? Wouldn't you rather have, if you weren't going to get hit with Title IX stuff and some liability stuff, wouldn't you rather have more uh, control or at least be more informed of it? Certain states can't do this right now with the current state laws. Like where Danny and I live, you you definitely can't bring NIL in-house and have the school uh, manage it. But I think that's what Ohio State did might be a first step as some of these laws laws change. I don't know that they really want separate booster groups running this. They, they still want the boosters' money, to be sure, but I think the schools will probably want more control. And I think that is probably one of the next steps that we're going to take to uh, to likely having these guys be classified as employees, by the way, down the road. like There's a couple things happening right now that I think we're, we're fairly close to that going down. Yeah, and that's the one thing too that I feel like that's it's really brought up, even though we cover college football. What happens to the academic side of all this for these guys? Because forever the payment that they've received has been a scholarship, which I feel like has too often been tossed aside by some people as being worthless. I think it's worth a lot because college is expensive. But at what point, like if I'm paying a kid two million to come to play quarterback for me, the hell do I need to give him a scholarship for? You know what I mean? And it's at that point, if that kid's no longer on scholarship and he's technically a walk-on making $2 million a year, why does he need to go to class? He doesn't need to meet any of the academic requirements that come with that scholarship. So, at what, like you're saying, buddy, becomes the employee. But what's that going to look like? Are these kids in the future going to be still required to go to certain classes and meet certain academic requirements to stay in the school? Or are they just going to be hired contractors who play for our football team and give us, you know, advertising? And if you want to go to class, you can. Yeah, yeah. sure. Given the, uh, well, two things. One, I was reading Fangraph's Top 100 Prospects this morning, and shout out Kevin Goldstein and those guys, uh, except for you know the cheating Astros part. Uh, not one in those 100 guys did, did I at all read anything about, hey, this kid's good at school or he's not good at school, like the, you know, like I, I, he was a bad student. We, we I, I agree a scholarship, if you're actually getting a good education, is valuable. But too often these guys are herded into, in, into majors that don't really produce much value in terms of degrees. They're not able to really pick what classes they want to go to. Um, you know, I know Danny was, or, or was it Danny or Andy Stable? One of the guys was talking about like they just they didn't get to pick their classes. They just got handed their schedule uh, on, on the plane on the way home from the Sugar Bowl. Uh, so I, I agree with you that the scholarship is valuable in certain circumstances. But I think a lot of these teams that are playing at the highest level, the scholarship is is not all that valuable. I personally. mean, more in the fact that the athletic department still has to pay for that scholarship. But is it like, a real cost or is it just like yes, is, is it, it just comes out of their cost? revenue? It comes out of the revenue. But they're not actually spending that money in their university. But the, it's no, a spreadsheet. Cost. The, it goes from the athletic department to the university. Athletic departments pay for those scholarships. That's why they have their own separate budgets compared to the school. And that's why all that other money goes to putting water slides inside the facility because they can't turn a profit. You are going to break the brains of university presidents who are currently sitting at Power Five universities if you tell them that the college football players are basically going to be serving the same function as your sports information director, <laughs> as the office staff, mm-hmm. as the graduate or not graduate assistants, as the uh, offensive line coach, because. 
that that is a future that Tom, like as you're mentioning, is possible. But I that's the like that's where we start to barrel towards like true breakaway, where universe some universities might be willing to say, uh, you know what, like we are just going to create um, a work uh, a work world where all of these 18 to 22 year olds, their job is college football. And mm-hmm. I mean, look at that point, you're probably breaking away from the NCAA at that point. You probably don't have the same hour limits on practices. You don't have the same hour limits on how much time you can spend with these guys. Mm-hmm. Like at that point, you really are just barreling towards universities fielding true minor league college football teams. Yeah, and I mean, put, Let's put ourselves in the minds back when we were 18 or 19. So like, not necessarily, you know, not like Danny on scholarship playing football, but just 18, 19 year olds in school. And we've got a job in which we're paying, you know, we're getting six figures, maybe even seven figures a year. Some of us would still be motivated to go to class because we think long term. But most 18, 19 year olds aren't thinking like that. We're going to be like, well, F this. I'm going to stay home, play Halo. Why the hell am I going to class? I'm making 500 grand a year. I'm going to class to get the job I already have. So it's like there's no motivation for these kids to keep going to class. So it's just it's going to be interesting to see. I mean, it's going to become professionalized. It's pretty much what the end game is. I I agree with that. The only motivation for a lot of these kids to go to class right now is just to stay eligible. Mm -hmm. Right. It's not actually to get to get the degree. Now, that's Mm -hmm. not all kids. But for a lot of them who are trying to go pro in football, that really is the motivation. Right. It's an A or C. There's no different. Just just pass me. Um, I I do think there's an interesting quote from a Dennis Dodd article from January I wanted to bring up. Uh, This is from Bubba Cunningham, the athletic director uh, at North Carolina. Uh, He said, quote, I think we're probably two to three years away from having a different relationship with our student athletes. He's entering his 27th year in uh, as, as an AD. Uh, it won't necessarily be the student in the university. It may be employee employer. And then he went on to talk about like, there's different ways you can do this that probably don't run afoul of title nine. Uh, he's like, look, we have all kinds of employees, like graduate assistants are technically, you know, technically employees, analysts are employees. So they don't necessarily have to be the, the employee status that you and I think. Um, but I think this is probably coming sooner than than we think. Uh, They just filed another labor complaint with the NLRB out there in California, trying to loop in USC and UCLA. Um, So NLRB, National Labor Relations Board, by the way, if you guys are watching at home and and don't know, um, they went USC and UCLA, USC private, UCLA public to try to basically get them, you know, get them dual uh, as a joint venture under the conference umbrella so that they can actually impact public schools as well as private. You know, and, and we want to talk about like, hey, how do you how do you put a salary cap on college football? The way you do it is you collectively bargain for one. That's why the NFL has a salary cap. That's why the NHL and the NBA and those guys have caps. They've collectively bargained for it. Danny, you were a part of that process. Uh, you can't. You're definitely not going to get away with having a salary cap on anything if the other side has no bargaining power and no seat at the table. So if you want to kind of get to a spot where here's how the money is capped, I'm not saying we will, uh, but realistically that's kind of the only way you get there i think right now because any other just blanket rule that gets thrown out you're putting cap on what people you're still insisting are not employees can make that's just going to get torn up in court they've had a salary cap for 70 years yeah (laughs) it's been zero right i mean that's what it's been um the whole the brett kavanaugh the brett kavanaugh judgment in the alston um case he shredded any hope of anybody thinking that the amateur model was going to exist. And I was one, I've been a believer in it. Like I, and you know, I remember going on with my old guy, uh, Ryan Rosillo, you know, who we had the radio show with. And he, he asked me probably a year or two ago, he was like, well, when's the money too much? You know? Cause I would always say, you know, it's expensive. It's expensive to run, all of college athletics. It's not just football. It's not just basketball. It's every sport that's out there. But the numbers that you're hearing that are coming out, I'm like, okay. Like, I've kind of thrown in the towel and been like, there is enough money and then some to go around where you could make this happen. So I'm very curious, though. Bud, do you have any – because I feel like you you know something that you don't want to say. Like, if you say – like, what do you think this would look like? Where does it come from? Like, what is, makes it different from – 
a school playing a coach's salary versus playing all the player salary because he doesn't have to go to class. Is that like, wouldn't it be just easy to say, yeah, you can go to class if you want to, but then how many kids are going to go is right. I think they would still make him go to class to be honest. Um, just because it, it preserves some of that traditional structure. I, I think if you're going to get university presidents to go along with it, you're probably wanting to, to preserve that. Uh, one of the things they have to figure out is is the Title IX issue, right? Uh, but does that Can actually you explain impl- that? Like, what is this? Because I get that all the time, and I know that was a big one. But I would say the counter would be that. What is that? I thought that was equal access to facilities, scholarships. scholarships. But if it's different, like, how do you justify Nick Saban making you know ten million plus and the women's basketball coach making a million? Like, how right. is that? Like in well, his that's pool, the, I'm guessing, the educational I'm part. guessing the pool for his coaching staff is different than the women's softball team, which is really good at Alabama, but I don't think they're anywhere close. So how would why would it be so much different? So it's because of the educational aspect, right? Like you're 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 not giving Nick Saban the educational opportunity and or the women's softball coach an educational opportunity. The students, it they kind of tied in to that, right? The educational opportunity, which is why I'm interested if you make them employees, is that an in run around Title IX? Right. Like if you make your rev sports employees and that that complaint to the uh, NLRB is not just football. It's also men's basketball and women's basketball, the, the sports that it claims make money. I'd be interested to see how much money you know some of the sports make other than football uh, across the, you know, the country. But certainly a lot of them uh, on the men's basketball term make a pretty good amount. So there's a lot there's some issues you have to figure out there. Uh, but I, I do think that this is probably coming this way otherwise it's very very wild westy if it's all right if you have um players becoming employees or that relationship eventually becoming a employer employee relationship does does nil still even need to exist or is that just another shock to the nil market i mean nil will always exist like, like but if you start paying guys through the school you don't need to give them fake yeah Fake's not the right word. They're using and I live on it's YouTube. more it's more endorsement based, right? Yeah. Like actual value of endorsement as opposed to currently NIL is your actual value of endorsement plus your enjoyment value to whatever you know millionaire booster wants to see his team win, right? Or whatever guy wants to get fifty dollars a month uh, charged to his credit card through one of these collectives. So I think we will always have NIL, but it's just endorsements like it is in any other sport that pays its 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 players, right? Like Danny, you didn't get like your endorsement value was basically commiserate with your your actual marketing value. Right. I also think you'll see far less money uh spent in facilities because you don't need to fake like you're not like you're losing money like you are right now to maintain your nonprofit status. Like right now they do this great spend down like oh we got to upgrade these facilities and everybody's like oh we need to upgrade ours cuz they upgraded theirs and you have this big facilities war. In the NFL, nobody's like Hey man, I don't want to sign with Cincinnati because they don't have an indoor facility, right? Nobody gives a damn about that. It's like how many how many commas are you going to put in my check? Who am I going to be playing with? And do I like living in the city? Steelers Basically. and Pitt share the same building. Mm-hmm. Uh, does, does Pittsburgh still sign free agents? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> right, because like they they're like, oh, we need this this building for recruiting. No, you don't. I mean, you in the current structure, sure. And nobody wants to live in like a totally rundown place, but realistically that is not the most important thing it's only the most important thing because you have a cap of zero right now on what you can pay your quote unquote non-employees and so you have to always do this great spend down to show that you're losing money uh, overall so you can maintain your nonprofit status i don't know like one way i always felt and i don't know how it applies now but i always wondered if this would be an easy workaround that the schools never did both for nil and just academics and everything when you go to college, you choose a major. The major you choose is in line with what you intend your employment to be, career to be after you leave school, whether it ends up being that or not. But like, if you want to be a lawyer, you go to law school. If you want to be a doctor, you go to medical school. You major in the, the, the subjects that you need to major in to get into those. Why schools just never made football a major or basketball a major? 
that would have been a complete and easy workaround to me. Like I'm going to school and I'm majoring in football and my classes are football. I go to practice. I go to the weight room. I do all this. I want to professionally play football. And I feel this school is the best one to prepare me for that and the classes they have. I mean, I, I think the reason why they never did that was because the presidents of the schools would feel like it would tarnish the university's reputation. It's a little too on the nose. Yeah. But yeah. like, if they would have just made those changes like 20 years ago, I think they're avoiding a lot of the problems they're facing right now. Oh, yeah. a lot of the problems. If the NCAA because, had been so stubborn and yeah. just dug in the sand and made a few concessions, we could have avoided all this and they could have kept their hand in the cookie jar and done everything they wanted to if they just would have given a little bit. Mm -hmm, because not everybody that goes to law school becomes a lawyer, just like not everybody that goes to football school becomes a football player. And if you're a football major, doesn't guarantee you're going to get a football job no. when you're done with college. Right. You might you know? end up blogging. Yeah, you could. <laughs> hey, come on down. You can join uh, join the rest of us that uh, barely got out of university and wound up blogging. <laughs> uh, all right, couple fun ones uh, right here. So with, we've we've discussed and referenced the uh, the NIL collective. Um, how much do you think is an appropriate cost for recruiting class now how good do you want to be that's what are the kids 40 times <laughs> <laughs> like what are you pulling together you're in charge of the cover three collective for our university how much money do you think is like where do you draw the line between that's that's too much and not on a per person but if we know if we believe that there's a mythical 25 million dollar number and if oh, we know that which, there's a 10 million dollar number what where, where do you think uh is an appropriate use of funds based on the current market as we know it by the way back to the sign of the conversation real quick i think the real reason jimbo was so angry about the 25 million dollar rumor is that if you allow that to be out there the kids who the kids look around like, wait, I know what I got. Mm -hmm. How does that add up to 25? And they get mm -hmm. mad about a fake number. You know what I'm saying? Like, wait, if, 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 if you guys spend 25, how am I only getting, you know, 750 a year? That doesn't make any sense. I'm like the number five player in this class. So I think that was really important for him to, to, to quash that. Even though they're not directly involved, like clearly if I'm a player and I'm in that class and I hear you spent 25 million, I'm and calling like, hey, 500? Yeah, 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 exactly. Well, what do we think the going rate is? Like five-star defensive lineman, I think is getting a million a year. What about a five-star quarterback? Probably two. Yeah. Which you know, people are, and I'm sure a lot of listeners are like, "Holy, cow, I can't believe that type of money." If you look at the major league baseball draft, when you're drafted at a high school, mm -hmm. you're a top ten pick. You know, you're getting, getting that paid. kind of money. Yeah. <laughs> I would and do. I would follow Danny's name. Those guys. Not many. I couldn't. Bud can because he reads top 100 articles on fan graphs, but not many other people could. But I, I like Danny's idea as far as how much I would be spending on my recruiting class. How much do I pay my coaching staff? Cutting that in half. Yep. And then I'm adding about 15 million to that. And that's how much I'm paying my recruiting class. And my coaches will take that pay cut because now that I'm just buying the players, they don't have to recruit as much. Like their jobs are going to become a little bit easier because you could just say, hey, uh, we play football here and we offer you 750K a year to come play if you want. <laughs> right. That's where the correction, I, that might be where the correction comes. You know, when you think about it, like maybe, maybe people get, schools get tired of paying their coaches. They figure out a way to get the money to the collectives and then you can actually get the money to the players that matter, that matter the most. And some coach is going to be like, sure, I'll take the pay cut. Cause, and, but put me at like, do a Harbaugh deal. If I win the big 10, if I win a, you know, conference championship, if I make the playoffs, give me a couple million dollar bonus and you're going to be playing. Cause you can rig the system. You can, there is a talent advantage that you're going to have almost every time, you know? Also, do you think there's any chance I'm getting off topic here, so I apologize, but it's along the same lines. It's the off season. Let's do if, it. If we st we're paying the kids, they're getting these salaries. Is there any chance the NFL reconsiders its three-year eligibility rule before you're you know eligible for the draft based on the fact that it's like, well, maybe we can get some of these kids early. So, you know, like, okay, this college is offering me a million, but the NFL might give me this. Is there any chance you think the NFL kind of reconsiders its stance on that? I, it, they would still have to pay more money for guys who, in, for the most part, are are more developmental than immediately marketable. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Like, if the colleges didn't care about winning, 
then they would essentially just be minor league baseball teams. And minor league baseball teams don't care about winning, right? Like no minor league manager gets hired or fired based on their record. They, they, the, the front office that owns that team or is affiliated with that team does not give a damn if they win a single game. They really just want to see the player skills improve. That would largely be the way that the NFL would have to treat these guys for the most part. Like, yeah, some teams would be very excited to draft some of these dudes and, and you know get their hooks in them early and secure those rights. Uh, but I don't know if they have the same value to the NFL teams as they do to the, some of these college teams because colleges are making money off the wins and losses as well. As well. And the NFL makes a lot of money by having like zero player development costs. Because mm-hmm. I feel like the one of the biggest benefactors of NIL is going to be college basketball. And I think we've already kind of seen the results of that. Because there's a lot of kids who in previous years would go to school for a year or two, probably leave too early, go to the NBA, get drafted in the second round, end up in the G League. Now those kids have motivation to stay in school because schools can pay them to stay and it helps the programs. And I think that the overall health of the sport, you get better teams and more better players and it's better for the sport overall. So I just wonder if the NFL, I was just kind of figuring out if there's maybe a correlation there, if the NFL might change its approach too. So to uh, to wrap things up, NIL is going to be reviewed by the NCAA, but we do not expect them to be able to get the toothpaste back in the tube, right? They're not going to be able to no. cap this and say certain players can only get this amount of deals. They're not going to cap this and say, you know, there are, you know, teams have some um, obligation. I mean, they, the NCAA just can't get in the way of that, right? That's just, that's it. Like NIL is dumb enough to try because, bud, do you think they're dumb enough to try? They might be, uh, they might attempt somehow with the inducement thing or try to make an example out of somebody uh, initially or something. But I ultimately, I mean, guys, I just shot a video on how recruits, if they don't sign in the early signing period and they wait till the traditional signing period, they can make a lot more money because all these schools who missed on guys in the early period still, still have all this powder they've kept dry and then they need to spend it on somebody. So if you're like a five star defensive lineman who decided to wait, for the uh, for the you know traditional signing period, you might have got hey, that? Know, five million over four years, right? Yeah, I was just down. Yeah, so I was just down there in a Miami camp. There was a lot of a lot of big time numbers th- uh, thrown around uh, from from South Florida. So, you know, like no, I don't think it's going back in the tube. Uh, I think it'll be interesting to see if schools say screw it, we're bringing this in house, so we we can exert a little more control and and influence on it. Not in terms of limiting what players make perspective, but in terms of like right now, you got to kind of clandestinely communicate with your boosters who you want, and then how do you structure this deal? And uh, you know, I've also heard there's boosters running around there with the NIL stuff who are actually offending families. Right? I was talking to coaches like, we got these guys, and I'm glad they're throwing our NIL money, but like, this is not a family that is going to take kindly to you just being like, hey, nice to meet you. Here's money. Right? Like, get to know me first. Talk about some education. Talk about your football development program, and then let's talk NIL. Uh, so the ability to bring it in house and exert more control over the whole program, I think, is something schools will probably eventually come around to if they can figure out the Title IX. Because I know Emil asked about this in the chat, and that's that's a difficult situation there because if you're all of a sudden in charge of getting extra money for your athletes while they're still students and not employees, you may run afoul of Title IX. So it'll be interesting to see how this all swings. Did you see, I don't know, Bud, I don't know if you have Chip Lamarca. He's a Florida State guy, but he's a legislator. Uh, and he's trying to pass a law that will yeah. allow the school to broker the deal directly with the players. And I talked to Mike Norvell about that the day before signing day. He was, fr- you know, he's because he was on it. And I, I think there are some states where you're allowed to with the school. Correct. The school That's what happens. Go, yeah. So they want to put all like- on the same footing where, yeah, then you don't yeah. need the collectives. You don't need anybody. You just use the booster department and, or the – the coaching staff, because imagine that, like trying to say, like, this is where it's stupid. Like you get offended, like you're talking about. What if you go pay some guy and the coaching staff is like, hey, eh, it doesn't really fit our system or we don't need that. We don't have a need for that guy. We need this guy. And you just wasted a million bucks on that guy. Exactly right. I mean, th- there's there's problems right now where like, hey, how high is this kid really on the board? All right, so the school-sponsored marketplace, essentially, like I've, I've referenced it before, but Michigan State launched an NIL marketplace that I looked at as Match.com. I'm a Michigan State athlete. You know, I've got my profile. I'm a you know, East Lansing business owner, and you get matched up, and then the school is able to um, oversee it. I, 
you're talking about the inducements. Like you're talking about the NIL opportunities before they become athletes. Correct. Schools cannot bring in house. Like the NCAA, what the I believe the NCAA will not let schools to bring in house um, NIL tied specifically to recruiting before um, before the NLI, but before they sign with the school. Essentially, that the only thing that the school is going to be allowed to broker are deals with current student athletes, and that the you're still going to have to go clandestine booster, you know, wink wink nod nod. I think uh, until they actually get on campus. Over what timeline do you think that they're not going to allow this to happen? Because if you if you have this opinion over the long term, I'm interested in a show bet here. <laughs> I'm, I'm not interested in because uh, in a long term show bet <laughs> in a long in a long term show bet on the future of compensation of college football players. I I do think that the um, the idea about making them employers also changes the recruiting game in a big way. Uh, so it's 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 interesting to uh, to consider, but I think that. NIL right now as is is probably pretty safe, right? I think so. Yeah, I think so yeah. too. Woo! Hot stuff. Anything else before we get out of here? I knew, I knew it's it's a deep topic. You know, it's I'm, I thank you all, all you for joining with us. It's I love being able to talk about this stuff with these people because um, the the perspectives, the opinions that are all very smart, and it I keep thinking about this stuff uh, even after we sign off the call. So. Um, Glad we got to spend some time enjoying it. Hey, if you want to uh, lob in a nice little discussion topic, you've got great opportunities by adding a question to the big old bag of mail. You could do that by leaving a five-star review. And in that review, go ahead and put your mailbag question. We will throw it in a future mailbag episode. We'll be back tomorrow live, 11 a.m. Eastern time, wherever you find us, youtube.com slash cover three. Of course, always a fantastic option with a new collection of questions from the big old bag of mail. And you can follow him on Twitter at Tom Fernelli. You can follow him at Bud Elliott 3. You can follow him at Danny Cannell. You can follow me at Chip underscore Patterson. Gentlemen, thank you very much. Thank you. See y'all. Have you heard of Nordic Knots? The Scandinavian rug company that has become the insider brand gracing some of the most beautiful homes around the world? With rug designs by some of the world's leading designers and a signature collection of wool and jute rugs in modern colors? But Nordic Knots is not just about great design. Their mission is to make quality rugs that last, with no compromises. Goodweave certified, handmade pieces woven in all natural materials. At NordicKnots.com, it's easy to find a rug that's just right. A curated collection in lots of colors and sizes to choose from. Even custom sizes are possible. So, whether you're the type who loves the understated elegance of their luxury essentials or the bold statements from their top designer collaborations, you can't really go wrong. Oh, and don't tell anyone, but right now, you can get a free sample with the code INNERCIRCLE. NordicKnots.com.